0: Hi, you're listening to Walkley Talks with me, Helen Sullivan. As Jackie Park, CEO of the Walkley Foundation, said at Storyology this year, there used to be radio, television, and print. Now it feels like it's social, social, and social. In January, Facebook launched its journalism project. As an industry, we're always looking to see what role the social network will play in our future. And our keynote speaker this year told us just that. Here is Facebook's manager of Global Journalism Partnerships, Anya Kerr, in a discussion moderated by Mark Fennell from SBS Viceland's The Feed.
1: When I came to Facebook uh, a year ago, I realised the challenges of course that the news industry was facing but equally the opportunities to play a part in this news ecosystem with a team in Facebook, the news partnerships team that have been working with the industry for six years now. Um, And this particular uh, sentence from Mark Zuckerberg, this is part of his community letter some months ago, this is what I come back to every day when I get up in the morning and I think about my job. My job every day is to think about how can I help the news industry? How can I help journalists? How can I help journalism thrive on our platform? And this is the quote that I always come back to, which is that ultimately, if Facebook wants to build informed communities, we cannot do that without a strong news industry. And so we have to play our part in the news industry when it comes to helping with discovery tools, when it comes to helping you build engagement and audiences on our platform, but crucially as well when it comes to actually monetizing that content, getting return for the hard work that you put into your journalism. So this is what motivates, this is what drives our team's day to day, is this uh, quote from Mark Zuckerberg some months ago. And when we talk about newsfeed, and that'll be a, a phrase that comes up in the coming days as you, you think and talk about a platform like Facebook, um, important to say that every week um, we as a platform are asking our community for feedback. And what our community of two billion people tell us week and week out when we do these surveys is that they primarily come to Facebook. To engage with their friends and family, you know, primarily that that is the, the focal point of Facebook. People, of course, come and they engage with businesses and and influencers, uh, etc. But that is the primary purpose. But we know also, secondly, that they come to be informed, that they want it to be a place where they come to have meaningful conversations, to have debates, to be informed, to see accurate, trustworthy, authentic information and content, and with information informantness also comes that concept of being engaged, being entertained. So this is all the time what we come back to. These are our newsfeed values. We published these last year for the industry so that we could transparently say these are the values that lie behind newsfeed. News industry has a part to play in terms of what the community are asking for. So, as most of you hopefully have seen, we launched the Facebook Journalism Project in January. Um, Before that, we've had a media partnerships team working for six years, but this was our effort to really put some more structure around what it is our teams are doing day to day, and how they work with the industry. And it was also really a stake in the ground from us to say, we need to do much more bigger, better collaborations with the industry. So, first and foremost, what we said was, We are going to be much more present in the industry. We are going to seek you out and have conversations so that we understand from the industry what is going to make sense when it comes to products and tools and services that we are building, that they are responsive, that they are what the news industry needs from us. Secondly, what we heard a lot from the industry was that they simply wanted help getting their journalists trained up on our products, tools and services. And thirdly, thinking about how we empower the community to seek out quality journalism. So thinking all the time about the supply of journalism on our platform, the supply of quality content every day, but also creating that demand for it by working with experts in the industry. So I'll go into these in more more detail uh, as we go through it. For the last six months, uh, I can honestly say I've probably been living out of a a, a suitcase. Uh, There are certain people I've seen at conferences, I've seen them more than I've seen my own husband. Uh, That is because since we launched Facebook Journalism Project, there's been a huge effort on our part to go out and hold hackathons around the world, to hold roundtables, to meet with people one-to-one. Uh, to hold what we call these Facebook Journals and Project News Days. Uh, we've done these all around the world, we've been to something like 70 events, we've met like thousands of publishers and journalists in the last six months alone. As part of this effort, if we're building products and tools, how do we make sure they make sense for you, that they're responsive to your needs? Uh, so I'm really proud of the work that we, we've done over the last six months and I'll show you some examples uh, of our particular thinking. And I'm glad to say as well, our Facebook Journalism Project News Day Um, where we bring partner engineers and product managers and our partnerships teams and operations teams we'll be bringing that here to Sydney uh, in the weeks to come so hopefully we'll have more to announce in terms of the very specific day shortly but to give you kind of an insight into how and what our our roadmap has looked like in the last six months as we've gone out and talked to the industry the feedback the asks have broadly broken down into these three areas uh, help with monetization on data, <coughs> help with story formats and help with credibility and integrity. Issues of trust, transparency, solutions driven journalism. Uh, with story formats of course that has been the industry saying to us how do you help us really deliver a video. That's clearly an experience the community is asking for help us with other formats and a monetization. I'm happy to say there's been a lot of growth in that and I'm going to go into some examples now. So in terms of that question of monetization, like of course, with everything that we're doing on Facebook, whether we're helping with discovery on our platform, distribution on our platform, engagement on our platform, we know the biggest ask from the industry is also, of course, monetization, putting the value on the journalism that you produce every day. And it's important to say with the Facebook platform and everything that we do, we aim to respect publishers' wishes. If you are a publisher that has a paywall, we respect that. We drive traffic back to your website and prompt people log in, subscribe. If you have free content, we respect that. If ultimately you want the traffic to go back to your website where you're monetizing it there, we respect that. And We've provided a lot of options for publishers to monetize on our platform, but of course we want to do more. One of the things that we got asked about in the last uh, six months was publishers coming to us and saying, look. Facebook is great, we love finding new audience there, but we want to build a funnel, we want to bring and build a deeper relationship with them, sometimes off the platform. Can you help us with calls to action, and what we call CTAs? And so we did a lot of experimentation around these calls to action through instant articles, and you'll see the first example. BuzzFeed said, look, when people come in and read one of our articles, we want a prompt that tells, asks them, invites them to like our page. You'll see in the case of Mike, what they wanted was, look, we want email signups. The newsletter is the way every day we're driving loyalty with audiences. Can you help us get more email signups? With uh, Huffington Post, theirs was, look, mobile app is key to our strategy. Can you help us get people to download the app? And then in terms of the Washington Post, the ask there was, look, we want to do these 30-day trials. Can you help us build that relationship deeply off-platform? And so, in each of these cases, that was the publisher taking control of that relationship and taking 100% ownership for it. And really pleased to see with these experiments that we've done in the last few months something like 2 million emails have been handed over by the public, by the community saying, yes, I respect your journalism, I'm going to answer the prompt, the ask that you have made of me. And it's something like 25,000 emails, day in, day out, that the community, the public, are deciding uh, to give voluntarily to the publisher to continue a relationship with them. The other thing that we got asked from publishers was, look, there are three central platforms that we want to publish to every day. There's Apple News, there's Google, AMP and then there is instant articles on Facebook. That is a lot of work effort in a news and we're often, you know, with competing resources help us streamline that. And so what we've been doing is giving uh, publishers the ability to simultaneously publish and that's something that will continue to improve that ultimately with one press of a button you can publish to, to three platforms and as I say hopefully will save journalists precious time that they can be using in many other ways. The other thing that we got asked w- about with instant articles and there's something like 10,000 publishers using instant articles now around the world. Like This is a product that is improving all the time and it's improving because of the feedback from the industry. Uh, we pay out something like a million US dollars every day the return in terms of the RPMs, your return per 1,000 views of every page, it has increased by something like 50% in the last few months alone. So the ability for publishers to increasingly monetize through instant articles is increasing. But publishers have said to us, "Look." help us understand what is the difference sometimes between an instant articles link and just a normal mobile web link. Help us understand the two different audiences that you're getting with that, which is building better engagement, which is working better for us. And so we started to roll out this traffic lift tool so that publishers can make an adjudication on When does Instant Articles make sense and when does it not? When does it build more engagement, when does it not? I will say that in the general analysis that we've done for Instant Articles for publishers, the engagement rate is much deeper, the bounce rate is less, like when people click in, it loads really fast, people stay with it. They're less likely to to lose patience in terms of it downloading. So this is a product we're getting feedback on, but is delivering good return for publishers. And these are some of the, the statistics we're looking with with instant articles in terms of the success that I just mentioned. Those increases in terms of the monetization return, the traffic compared to the mobile web and what we're paying out day to day. Uh, and again, we know we've more to do with this product and it will continue to improve based on the feedback that we get from journalists and publishers. And of course, video monetization is something that we're working really hard uh, to figure out for the industry because as most of you know, video is something that is exploding on our platform. Uh, Something like 100 million hours of video are being watched day in, day out. It's a really immersive uh, experience that people really enjoy on our platform. And publishers and journalists are just such fantastic storytellers through video. So what we've been doing with video is is multi-pronged. First and foremost, all publishers now can do these in-stream ads with video. Uh, There's revenue share, you can monetize it, another way again of of building out your your business strategy. But we're also figuring out uh, what does it look like when you have a commercial break in your video or in your live. so Let's say you've got a dedicated uh, audience member has come in, they're watching for a minute, they're already committed, and they get a little prompt to say, would you mind watching a commercial for 20, 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. And we're, we're experimenting with this commercial break concept in now nine or 10 markets, and the feedback is good. People do see the return between this is good content, I'm enjoying it of course I can take 20, 30 seconds out as a reward for this journalism, as a reward for this storytelling. So that's something we're learning from. There's a commitment on our part that as we learn and iterate with this, we'll continue to scale it globally based on the initial pilots and tests. So subscriptions. Um, It's been a really important theme as we've travelled the world, uh, particularly the last six months, as publishers are diversifying with strategies. And of course, as you all know, I don't need to tell you, Everybody's trying to figure out different diverse strategies. Some are going for a video first approach, some are going for a a referral traffic approach, but some are trying to figure out still subscriptions or membership as The Guardian just talked about. And so one of the asks we had was, look, great that outside Instant Articles, you respect paywalls and subscriptions, but can you do more within Instant Articles? And I'm really happy to say that this is something we're currently working on. We will have a pilot later this year that basically when you come through Instant Articles, Uh, whether you're the Australian or the Guardian potentially and you want to do a prompt to have people join your membership. New York Times, Washington Post, all of these publishers trying to figure out subscription packages. You'll get a little prompt to say would you be interested in signing up for a subscription to this publisher. You'll see the second prompt will be, you know, putting in your, your card details. It is crucial for me to emphasize that relationship will be owned by the publisher in absolutely 100%. Uh, in terms of the the communication with the the community, the member of the public, in terms of the revenue as well, 100% uh, revenue to the publisher. Uh, So that's something I think you can expect to hear an awful lot more about in the six, nine months, 12 months to come. And again, working with the industry to make sure this actually makes sense uh, for them and how they actually want to build their subscriptions business. Something that we're all really passionate about in Facebook is also thinking about how we can help The local news industry. Uh, I made my start in community journalism, I spent two years with a local newspaper in Dublin. I know how much it is the heartbeat of communities, how people rely on it for weather and local updates, seeing their, their, their local councillors and local parliaments being held to account. It plays a fundamental role in society and in our democracies and we have now a dedicated team in Facebook Thinking about products for local and a partnerships team working with local to think about how ultimately do we take localized content, community content, and match it to people in their own local areas. And again, this is something we're taking our time to work with the industry, take your questions, take your feedback to make sure that what we build is responsive and is actually going to make sense. And this is something I hope in the coming days, as I meet a lot of you here at the conference that you'll have some ideas about that I can take back uh, to the product team. Some of you may have seen also the introduction of watch and shows uh, just two weeks ago. Again, this is something the industry asked us for, which was, look, we're producing more and more uh, video content, it's doing really well on the platform. But can there be a separate experience, particularly if you think about thematic content or episodic content? So what we're experimenting with, we've rolled this out slowly in the US to kind of learn from it. If it works, it'll obviously go more global. But basically you have a little tab next to your newsfeed, so it sits beside newsfeed. It's a separate little experience where you can go in and basically subscribe to content creators and publishers. And you can come back, you know, day in, day out for new episodes. Some of it is thematic around topics of interest, <laughs> events, people, and places, so that it'll be specific to your particular interests. <laughs> and again, we hope this will be another way for content creators and publishers to monetize content, that you'll be able to run your commercial break ads, etc., through this and ultimately drive more revenue on the platform. So we're excited to see how the community is going to respond to this in terms of having a separate platform uh, to watch more video. The other thing when it comes to monetization that we have been long time aware of is that Publishers have a lot of really great brand ambassadors and they have celebrity endorsements and they do product placement and they own these uh, relationships on lots of different platforms. But ensuring that a publisher can come onto the Facebook platform and continue that relationship with the brand on our platform and again keeping 100% of the revenue, nothing to do uh, with Facebook. The thing that publishers obviously asked for was that we want to be more transparent with tagging it as paid, so that the community, the users, the audience understand that this is different to our journalistic content. So we've worked with the industry to make sure it's very clearly labelled paid, that people can see this is a sponsorship, this is native content, and also that publishers can run logos and watermarks and graphic overlays, that it's just very clear that this is a different type of content. A lot of publishers are having a lot of success with this now as well on the platform. So that kind of concludes our first pillar, collaborative development of product just in the last few months. And you can see heavily focused on helping publishers ultimately drive revenue through a number uh, of instances, whether it's video, branded content, instant articles, etc. trying to ensure there is no one solution, but instead there is a broad suite uh, of products available to publishers. The other thing that I mentioned at the top was the second pillar, training and tools for journalists what the industry have said to us is there are a lot of products there's a lot of tools there's a lot of services on Facebook can you help us getting our journalists to a, you know a, a standard of excellence and i've certainly been a, a journalist over the years where i've had uh, you know training to help upskill and it's something in response to the industry request we've been really happy to help with just to ensure people understand what's available to them and how to use it uh, effectively using best practices and guiding principles and so one of the things that we've worked really hard to, to bring to the industry and provide training on it is this wonderful tool called CrowdTangle. And I know some of you in the audience already have access. If you don't, uh, I recommend going to their website, uh, just going and registering your interests, getting in line for their training and onboarding. They're really responsive and it ultimately is two-pronged. Uh, for those of you always looking for news ideas and story tips, it is a great news gathering product uh, to kind of understand what is out there that potentially hasn't been picked up yet, hasn't got virality, hasn't trended yet and given you an edge on, on some of your competitors. But secondly, it is a really great data and analytics tool for you to understand trends across Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, uh, and for you to understand how video is performing on platforms, but really just helping you understand what is connecting with your audience, how you are doing compared to your competitors and really understanding the environment around you when it comes to social media. So highly recommend this tool, as I say if you register it's free, The, the team there will follow up to kind of get a plan in place for training and onboarding. But in terms more broadly of how we're thinking about helping journalists who come to us and say you know, give us some training expertise on the products, tools and services. We are constantly doing webinars, workshops, master classes, etc. But one way we try to scale what we do is through a website. It's facebook.com forward slash journalists. And if you go in there, you will find a number of e-learning courses on everything from 360, how to use live, how to get set up on Facebook as a journalist, Instagram best practices. It's, it's a really good Facebook 101 on how to use the platform effectively as a journalist. And the really nice thing about it is most of you hopefully have heard of Pointer, a very respected education institution based out of the US but operating globally. They put together a certificate. It's produced by them. And when you do these e-learning courses, you can sit a, a little exam on the website and you get to a certain percentage in terms of a pass weight, you get a certificate from Pointer. And we have found from journalists that said, look, this is a really nice thing to be able to put on my CV, on my resume to indicate I have an expertise in using products um, that are relation to Facebook. So hopefully that's something some of you can bring back to your newsrooms that will be of interest to your journalists. Um, And in terms of thinking about how we scale all of these efforts, um, we have an interesting pilot at the moment in, in the US where we're working with large organisations that basically are gatekeepers into local newsrooms, thinking about coaching and working with our cross-functional teams to go into these newsrooms, understand exactly what it is they need, uh, to be absolute experts in Facebook and giving them the training and resources that they need. That's something as we learn from, hopefully we'll be able to bring it uh, to other markets. One other thing I want to mention in terms of that website, so the facebook.com forward slash journalist website, is that we also have a safety section on it and this is something I feel really strongly about as someone who was an editor uh, for five years where you feel responsible for the daily lives of your journalists because they're using platforms like Facebook to find sources and eyewitnesses but also using it to distribute content and so this website is basically (coughs) a guide to best practices for journalists, how to keep themselves safe on the platform and also protect their sources. So if you go on there, you're going to see a readout of best practices but also four videos that we've put together based on advice from the likes of Committee to Protect Journalists, Reporters Without Borders and a lot of these safety organisations around the world that are thinking day to day about safety for journalists. So you'll see ideas in there about how to moderate comments, how to do two-factor authentication, how to encrypt uh, your messages back and forth with sources. So hopefully another good resource that that some of you will be able to bring back to your new Zooms. And we have made an effort, like it's really important to say with a lot of this work, we don't just go into a little rabbit hole and and try to figure it out ourselves. We talk to the industry. Uh, Here in March, we brought female journalists into Facebook to understand particularly the issues that they were going through on the platform and really try to understand it, but also understand how they've been dealing with it in terms of best practices so that they could share that with their their female colleagues. So all the time trying to find those opportunities to actually learn from journalists and take that advice on board. So that brings me to my third pillar, um, which is one as, uh, I was actually a, a teacher before I went into journalism, so I've had an interesting career going from teaching into journalism into Facebook. Leaving teaching is something my mother to this day has not forgiven me for. You know, a nice, permanent, stable job. But this is something that brings together my passion for teaching and education, but also making sure that there is the appetite and demand for journalism. So this is something that is really uh, close to my heart, uh, is thinking about how we empower our communities, uh, how we make the help them be informed sharers, engaged civically and thinking about uh, the conversations that they have with their friends and family every day. And this is something that Mark Zuckerberg, our CEO, has talked about a lot in recent months, is the responsibility that we have in terms of you know, building informed communities on this massive platform, but also thinking about how do we ultimately amplify the good content and mitigate the bad, and how can we use technology uh, to do that to ensure that what our community are seeing is meaningful and authentic and and content that they can ultimately uh, discuss uh, with their, their friends and family. And so of course misinformation and false news you know we've heard from it this morning uh, in the two earlier presentations obviously this has been a huge topic of conversation across uh, the industry and it's an area where we take our responsibilities really really seriously and I'm going to take you through some of the things that we've been doing very quickly but I really want to emphasize the fact that we do not want to see false news in our platform. Uh, It ultimately erodes (laughs) the mission that we uh, have set out for ourselves, which is to build informed communities and to have that spirit of trust and safety on our platform. So we are working very hard day in, day out uh, to understand how to uh, amplify the good, mitigate the bad. And we have said very publicly, we're gonna work on this very hard until we get it right. So just very quickly in terms of our approach to this, you can see there, there's been three uh, big pillars to this, disrupt the financial incentives, build products and tools to reduce sharing and think about education initiatives for our community. So when it comes to that first one of disrupting the financial incentives, what we have learned is that a lot of false news is financially motivated. And so what we have said about doing is using uh, machine learning to detect fake, inauthentic accounts and we work very hard to identify them as quickly as possible. When new new accounts are being set up, we have dozens and dozens of data points to quickly verify, is this an authentic, real, trustworthy person or not? Uh, If they do happen to get passed into that filter, we're using machine learning uh, to very quickly identify fake, inauthentic accounts and remove them. Uh, And we are also doing, as you will see here, there's a, you know, there are low quality pages. We've all heard this concept of ad farms where you click into an article, it looks like something you'd be interested in, and instead it takes you to this page, which is a horrible experience. We all very quickly uh, click out of this again. And so in recent months, we are reviewing hundreds of thousands of pages like this. And where it is a poor experience, we are downranking it in feed, so we are not serving it up at the top of news feed for people because we know this is an irritating poor experience uh, for a community. So a lot of work going into that to ensure, back to that core principle, amplify the good, mitigate the bad. And that also goes to clickbait and sensationalism. you know you've all seen these kind of headlines which are um, you know they're exaggerating (laughs) they're trying to kind of get an easy click through and it's the you'll never believe what happened next dot 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 and what we have said is look where it is clickbait and sensationalist again we're going to use our our newsfeed signals uh, to to downrank that and feed and what we have said very clearly to the industry is look If you are uh, doing quality journalism every day, you know writing accurate, informative, meaningful headlines, you're going to do fine. Uh, It it is those bad actors that instead are going for the click, uh, the quick click, and knowingly clickbait to try and kind of earn a quick buck on an outside website. So for those of you who haven't seen these publisher principles, if you just simply Google Facebook publisher principles, you'll find them. They'll be a good indicator for those of you who are social media managers thinking about how to write headlines on the Facebook platform to make sure that you are ultimately being the thing that is potentially being amplified through our signals. The other thing with uh, misinformation and spam and these poor experiences is making sure that our community has the ability to report it to us. So we've been working on making sure that our community understands that there is a little grey arrow to the top to the right of each asset, if they click on that they can basically report content that could say it's spam or I think it's false or it's just not something it should be on Facebook. And of course that's to do sometimes with, it could be violent content, it could be something that looks like a threat to somebody's life. So there is ways of course to constantly empower the community to go, hit on that button and report it uh, to our Facebook community <coughs> standards team. The other thing of course, as I have traveled the globe is that I really have come to appreciate, and with Storyfold spending five years thinking about how do you verify content, how do you find signalling in the noise, how do you help people find trustworthy sources, it takes such a diverse suite of solutions. I think for all of us thinking about misinformation and trust and false news, I think we probably all recognise it is not going to be any one thing that is going to solve for this. And so part of the solution, you've seen some of the technological things that we're doing with our signals and and machine learning, but also thinking about Perspectives and showing people the bigger spectrum of ideas and opinions that, that lie out there in the world. And so one thing we've been experimenting with in recent months is this concept called related articles. Most of you will be familiar with the uh, concept of clicking into an article, reading it, getting suggested other articles based on what you've just read. With this, it's before you click in. And right now we're doing it on some of the big hot-button issues of the day, where you come down through a newsfeed, you're scrolling, see an article, Before you click into it, there will be a little suite, uh, a little shelf of articles, some of which might be from fact-checking organisations like Snopes or ABC or PolitiFact saying, "We've debunked this. Come, you know, come back and have a read of it." So, trying to kind of think about what does it mean to show people other perspectives through our platform, because what our research has shown us is that sometimes when you show a person just one alternative viewpoint, they're actually sometimes more likely to become more entrenched in what they originally read and what they originally believed because of their unconscious biases. So with this we're trying to test the concept of rather than show one alternative with some of these hot-button issues what does it look like when you show a suite of different ideas, analysis, opinions and articles? One other thing is then thinking about um, news literacy. Uh, in our classrooms, across our platform, where is the role for Facebook when it comes to working with industry experts. And One thing that we've done in recent months has been what we call PSAs, so public service announcements on our platform. Uh, We run these in something like 40 markets now and worked with the industry, worked with First Draft, worked with News Literacy Project, Stony Brook and many others across the globe to understand what are the ten things that a person should be thinking about when they come into our platform every day? What are the questions that they should be asking of videos and sources? How can they interrogate content to know is it something that they can trust? And ultimately we're giving a lot of thought to how can we help our community be their own arbiters of truth? How can they seek out trustworthy content, how can they know when something is false, it just doesn't feel right. So thinking about giving them the 10 tips and tricks uh, for identifying false news and misinformation. And as part of that, we have worked really hard, like here some months ago, we had a false news debate in Facebook here in Sydney to understand again from the industry, what is it going to take, but crucially, not just for Facebook, because this is not a problem unique to Facebook, this is going to require a collaborative effort on all of our parts from educators, academics, universities, publishers, third party organisations and platforms like Facebook. This is going to take a massive collaborative exercise on on all our part. And I will come back to that in one moment. And this is one of the ways that we got asked to play our part. Um, Back in March, we did a working group in Phoenix, Arizona. and We brought 90 people from around the world to think and talk about news literacy. And one of the asks coming out from that three day event was, we need a movement, we need a coalition to bring everyone together, not have a duplication of work, have a very clear roadmap when it comes to issues of trust, manipulation and news literacy. And so we helped to found and fund the News Integrity Initiative. Hopefully some of you have seen it. If you haven't, just go and check out newsintegrity.com. Uh, There's 14 million US dollars there to help with research projects and innovative projects in general that will help with issues of trust manipulation, news literacy. Uh, For those of you who have ideas, there's a really simple form that you can fill out to start the process of lodging a proposal with them. So in terms of three quick takeaways, because I know I have talked very fast for the last 25 minutes, and I've given you a lot of information. But if I can leave you with three things. Uh, CrowdTangle, as I mentioned earlier, for helping with your news gathering, your data and analytics, go to their website, start the process there. As I say, it is free to journalists and publishers. Secondly, we have a private group on Facebook, uh, News, Media, and Publishing, that is specifically for journalists and editors to hear from us in Facebook every day. And every day we are in there posting from our product teams, partnerships, operations, partner engineering. It is a way that we kind of just can have a more uh, private conversation with the industry, give you updates, tell you sometimes if there's a bug. Um, but it's also a great place where journalists come in and say, here's my case study today of what worked on live, or did you know you can do this with instant articles, and there's very much a value exchange of information and ideas. And then just thirdly, in terms of those of you who want to kind of feel closer to Facebook Journalism Project, what we're up to, I recommend signing up for this newsletter just to get updates on what our roadmap is looking like, because we're, as you can hopefully see, working to be much more transparent and collaborative in terms of your art thinking. So thank you for your attention. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity to present on what we've been up to with Facebook Journalism Project, and I think we now have some questions.
2: Um, I just want to ask you the thing you were saying there, because there's been a lot of conversation around people living in filter bubbles <laughs> and only seeing uh, news that reinforces their own views. And I'm just wondering, that experience you have of putting related articles with different points of view underneath? What have been the results of that? How have you seen people's behaviour and opinions change? And can you, I guess, can you prove that it works?
1: Yeah, like, something like that, it's honestly really early days. It's Mm -hmm. something we've really only been trying for a number of weeks in certain markets, so too early to tell. Um, I think as we have learnings, we will definitely, through those channels that I've just mentioned, will come to the industry and and, uh, provide updates. I will say, in terms of this uh, entire conversation around, you know, so-called filter bubbles and um, people's, you know, unconscious biases that, yeah, we recognise there's definitely responsibilities for Facebook to help people in terms of that idea of building informed communities. But, of course, like, a lot of these issues, of course, predate Facebook. Yeah. You know, we, we look back at newspapers and radio. We've There's always been a, an element of uh, self-selection and, and reading what you think is just going to be relevant to you. So I think this is something that... You know, just more generally with human nature, conscious, unconscious biases is a thing and something everyone is trying to figure out. But one of the things I've been really heartened by is the Reuters Research Institute report. If you haven't seen it, it was published about six weeks ago. It is a really great read for all of you who are journalists. And they had a really interesting piece in there around... Um, you know, ideological barriers and filter bubbles. And their research, and they kind of said very transparently, this has surprised us, where they said two-thirds of those using social media are also using TV or apps or websites, seeking out other news sources. Uh, And what they found out was that only 2% of those using or relying on social media are only using social media for news. So... You know, they were taking a lot of heart, and I also take a lot of heart as a former journalist, that people are seeking out a diverse range of sources. And when you think about social media in general, that should make sense as well, that on a platform like Facebook, where you've got a two billion community, you've got so many publishers, you've got diverse opinions, your own friends. Like, when I think of my friends and family, and I'm sure all of your experiences on Facebook, you've got people who disagree with you. Like, in Europe, our average is something like you have... 50 friends who are outside of Europe. So you're going to see these contrasting views. And actually, my own experience of Facebook is that it is a place where people have discussions and debates. So I do think, particularly with millennials, we've seen with Pew Research, you know, millennials in particular are seeing social media as a place to also go off and search and seek out other sources and bring them into their conversations. So the, the research is interesting to see some of the trends, and it's something obviously we think and a lot about, and are really thoughtful about our approach.
2: There's a there's an entire industry of social media managers out there that spend their life second guessing what words were, uh, are going to get them downvoted on Facebook, and I'm curious. With the you put up a picture there of a, a very sort of an archetypal poor website. And I'm wondering, can you expand a little bit on the machine learning for what dictates a quality website and what dictates a a poor quality website
1: yeah like i would say on a general principle in terms of social media managers and sometimes feeling exasperation with uh when when newsfeed changes come we have heard that feedback from social media managers and we now have a newsfeed fyi blog again if you haven't seen it take note of it today do just sign up for those alerts and and check on it because that is where we are trying to be transparent with Changes that come through Newsfeed, the News Media and Publishing Group. Again, we're trying to kind of get ahead uh, when there are changes to say to journalists, look, this is coming, this is the thinking behind it. And it's important to say when Newsfeed changes come, it's responsive to the community. We survey 10,000 people a month. So where they're having per experiences, we try to be uh, responsive to that. Um, so in, in terms of recognising those frustrations, have tried to, to do that. And with the publisher principles, for those of you in the audience trying to figure out, yes, what works, what doesn't, I absolutely guarantee you, if you look at those publisher principles, and you will see, if you write accurate, informative, meaningful headlines, you are fine. Like, this is... Mm very much us saying quality journalism is going to be the thing that are good signals, bad signals are going to be those that are just the obvious clickbait.
2: I wanted to throw back to the thing you were saying earlier about um, the calls to action and sign-ups. You were saying earlier that if somebody signs up becomes a member or signs up to a subscription over Facebook that the publisher owns the relationship but you you own an acknowledgement of the fact that they signed up over Facebook. Would you then look to uh, improve, uh, would you look to incentivize publishers to do that process over Facebook by lifting them up the rank? Look,
1: again, as a general principle, important to say that where publisher content goes in our platform, it's the publisher choosing to mm. put it there. Uh, of course, if it's a member of the community finding it on a website, sharing it on Facebook, all of the <laughs> principles apply. If it's a publisher who wants to drive them back to the website, wants to build a relationship, that's just a really important principle to us, that we respect publishers' asks and wishes when it comes to their own strategy. In terms of those CTAs, that's where publishers have decided to opt into instant articles as something that they they want to try and innovate with. Um, So again, You know, it's the the publisher, they have control over what the CTA, what the call to action should be. And as I say, it is 100% ownership uh, to the publisher, nothing to do with Facebook. That is genuinely us being responsive to the industry saying... We want to use your platform in multiple ways. And in some scenarios, we want to build the audience off your platform. We respect that. Because I come back to the principle here. We want to help the industry thrive on, and if that means off our platform that you want to use the audience in different ways, we want to be responsive to that.
2: In the time that you've been with Facebook, what has surprised you most?
1: Um, I'd always heard about its culture of collaboration, but it is honestly incredible how a large organisation works together. So we have what we call these cross-functional teams. And so with every project, with every pilot, with every new learning, you are generally in a room sitting with somebody from partner engineering, product, um, operations, partner services. And so the collaborative way of working is incredible. And I think they're so good at doing that that it is now genuinely transferring externally, when it comes to how we're trying to work with the industry. So for those of you, hopefully, will be able to come to see us at our Facebook Journalism Project Day in here in Sydney, you will see that in action mm. because you will see up on stage partner engineers and product managers and partner services and operations people saying, look, this is what's on our roadmap. What do you think makes sense? What's in? What, what's awful? What's never going to work? You know, tell us. And so it's just that spirit of learning, listening, iterating, improving, going back, and just constantly working together to make something better.
2: It's been really interesting in the last two years to see how the rise of Facebook video has almost created whole new genres of video. It's, you know, it's the square video, it's subtitled. It's a whole bunch of things that have changed the visual language of how we communicate. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, how do you think Watch... It's really embryonic at this stage. Mm. But how do you think Watch is going to evolve the way we watch video on on mobile through Facebook, do you think?
1: Yeah, I I think too early to say it. And um, it's it's a a product I haven't been very close to and I'm excited to kind of watch it uh, like a lot of you. So, like, the initial experimentation that I've seen, it's just, again, it's really responsive for you as the user to say, these are the things I'm interested in, subscribe. You kind of have a watch list. Um, You basically can look at it through themes and topics Uh, and so it's thematic but it's also episodic so I think there again it's about uh, looking at user behavior seeing how you can build loyalty and I think that's the, the key thing here is that publishers and content creators have said look Great experience, but we now want to build these deeper relationships where people come back again and again. I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch with this experience to see, can content creators and publishers build deeper, loyal audiences?
2: This is going to be a really dumb question, so <laughs> bear with me. Why is news and journalism actually important to Facebook? Like, what what is its, What does it actually deliver to Facebook as an organisation?
1: Yeah, like, I go back to, to that earlier quote from Mark Zuckerberg, which is, we have talked for years about this idea of building you know an open connected world. but with that community letter what was a little bit different in there was that he also talked about Facebook's responsibility in terms of building communities and informed communities like that's something that he as the CEO has thought a lot about in the last six months and some of you will also have seen his post on Friday where he posted about the responsibilities that Facebook is thinking about with the news industry because you cannot build informed communities without a strong news industry. And why do you need a strong news industry? Because a strong news industry is the industry that is building authentic, trustworthy, informative content. And so within that, then you have to think about how do you support local journalism in communities? How do you help publishers build um, mobile storytelling? How do you help them monetize? Because it ultimately comes back to that mission Mm. of informed communities, and one cannot
0: go without the other. You've been listening to the Walkley Talks podcast. If you've liked this podcast, there are a couple of things you can do to support it. Sign up to our newsletter at walkleys.com forward slash subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes and other Walkley news. Rate us on iTunes. Or tell your friends, family and colleagues about Walkley Talks. This podcast was produced with help from freelance journalist and fabulous intern Courtney Hunter and former Walkley's superstar Kate Golden in Sydney, Australia. Thanks for listening.